This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Recollections Radio. Monday morning tea time is now all about sharing memories with you, old and new, of life in Dunedin. Bringing you stories, interviews and music from times past and inviting you to share your memories with us. Presented by Jill Bowie and Kay Mercer, the team behind Dunedin Public Library's Scattered Seeds Archive. Thanks to generous funding by the New Zealand Libraries Partnership Project. Recollections Radio, Monday mornings at 11 on 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. It is Monday morning and it's a bit cold again. Uh, not it's winter. frosty. <laughs> no, it's not frosty, thank goodness. Did you have a great weekend? I did have a lovely weekend, actually. Yeah. Fantastic. It's great. We opened our um, Māori Legends exhibition on the third floor of the City Library in the Reeve Gallery beautiful. and it was an amazing, beautiful celebration with lots of um, wiata and a bit of um, audience participation which was beautiful and uh, yeah. so make sure you get along to see the exhibition. It's yes, it's open right now. It's open. As long the as the library's open, the City Library, you can see the exhibition. It's beautiful. It is. Beautiful. So proud. Better say who we are. I'm Kay and this is Jill. Yes, I'm Jill. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to Recollections Radio. Um, what have we been doing? Well, we're still working on our bookshops project, our brand new project that we've been working on. And last week I interviewed Mike Hamlin, who is a former second-hand bookseller from Dunedin. And many people probably in Dunedin know who Mike is. He, he's a real character around town and uh, had a wonderful chat with him. So we'll be playing that um, interview in a few weeks' time. And if you have any recollections of bookshops over the years that you've frequented or that are particular favourites again we love to hear from you yeah if you have any bags or pins or yes bookmarks bookmarks bookmarks. yes 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 we have a wonderful collection of bookmarks at the library which we've been mike has kindly donated for us to scan so we'll be uploading those to scattered seeds and you'll be able to see and hopefully there'll be a bit of a memory jogger i think i think there will be yeah Yeah. so um from your favorite bookshops all over the country really we've been asked to call it the hamlin heritage bookmark collection indeed (laughs) Indeed. it's quite beautiful So, yeah, do tune in to dunedin.recollect.co.nz to have a look at those. Once we've uploaded them, there'll be a next project yeah. probably, probably happening later this week. What else are we working on? Oh, the dance halls. Yeah. You tell us about those, Jill. Oh, well, it's, uh, you know, the dance halls from sort of the 1930s. Yeah, so we just Fantastic. want to, you know, hear all the stories of the dance halls. If you met your partner at the dance halls, you know, what they were like, what the atmosphere was like. Yeah. The, the dresses, the dancers, the, music. the bands. Yeah, <laughs> everything. And again, it doesn't have to be just Dunedin City. It's all over yeah. this locality. So we want to hear from from you, whether it was the local village hall or whatever. You know, where did you go? Yeah. Who did you go with? Tell yeah. us the gossip. I go. That's what we want to know. That's what we're really asking for. <laughs> right. Let's we're, get real. We're just nosy. <laughs> What else do we do? Oh, we had a wonderful tour of the Senegal yeah. Dunedin. What an exciting opportunity that was. Many, many thanks to Angela Vickers, who kindly took us around the synagogue here in Dunedin. Uh, it was a beautiful experience for us. Yeah, it was lovely. And, uh, yes, yeah, so we'll be adding details of that and the history of the synagogues in Dunedin to the uh, archive shortly. And that's part of our celebrating the cultures of Dunedin and saving our stories. We're looking for different cultures to participate and contribute stories about how they've, their experience of Dunedin has been. Really? So that's what that's all about. And one more thing. You're celebrating disco this oh, week, yes. aren't you? So uh, Saturday, July the 2nd, is National Disco Day. Yeah. So it's an unofficial day, I guess, but it, you know, <laughs> but we need to observe it by um, listening to, uh, you know, 
disco, doing a bit of dancing, you know, a bit of... Um, yeah, a bit of grooving. And I was looking at, um, thinking, well, who were the big disco stars in New Zealand? And really, yeah. it's kind of hard to kind of pinpoint someone. But I suppose Mark Williams was probably the most uh, yeah. famous New Zealand pop star. So yep. he was a, a resident um, singer on the TV show uh, Free Ride in 1974. So he had three albums out uh, one went to number two in 1975, nice. and then the other two, they got to number 14. But by the end of 1977, um, he left for Australia, so he found being a star in New Zealand was not fun. Um, the reaction was Is either... because everyone knew him? Yes, <laughs> and because he was so glam yeah. and different from, yeah. I guess what you would normally get in uh, 1970s mm. New Zealand. So he said the reaction was either absolute adoration or total disgust. Aww. So complete oh, opposites. God. I was very scared of what I created. That's one of the reasons I left New Zealand, because it was just too scary. That's sad. But yeah, so he had two number one singles. So Yesterday was just the beginning of my life in 1975. Mm-hmm. And a cover of Buddy Holiday. Buddy Holly's It Doesn't Matter Anymore in 77. Aww. And then he relocated to Australia later that year. But yeah, so um, he also uh, recorded the theme song to Home and Away, that Australian soap opera. Yeah, so him and Karen Karen Boddington in 1987. There you go. So we heard his voice for a long time. So I suppose in a way, if he hadn't gone to New Zealand, he may not have had that opportunity. Sorry, he hadn't gone to Australia. He may not have had that opportunity. Exactly, yeah. And then, um, yeah, yeah, so he had a bit of a resurgence in in the 80s as Mm. well. Yeah, so. Well, congratulations to him. Yeah. And we've got his album in in the collection I'm going to play a track from this one yeah uh, what's, do you, you've chosen this one Jill what's so this this is um, probably quite a disco-y kind of sounding one so it's from the 1977 album Taking It All In Stride it reached number 13 in the oh, charts yeah. in New Zealand in Pretty September good. 1977 and it's called House For Sale awesome enjoy this
What a way to get grooving on yeah. a Monday morning. Had me wiggling around in my chair, that's for sure. <laughs> so I wonder where people would have gone and danced to discos I, in Dunedin. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. yeah. Well, if anybody out there remembers where the disco was in the yeah. 90s, uh, yeah, get in touch, let us know. Yeah. What do you remember about it? I know. Where would we have been grooving to Mike Williams? Exactly. Yeah, that's what we want to know. So, yeah, tune in, people. Um, now then. We have, or a few weeks ago at least, I had the fortune to interview Amanda Mills from the Hocken Library, which is a wonderful discussion we had about their Kaleidoscope World Exhibition, um, which is celebrating 40 years of flying nun in Dunedin. The exhibition was curate, curated by Amanda Mills and Catherine Milburn, and the exhibition was designed by Neil Lowe. So a huge thanks to Pictorial Collections team at Hocken Collections for helping put that together, and that, that comprises Robin Notman, Victoria Munro, Nick Austin and John Chapman. And uh, this is the first part of my chat with Amanda Mills. Hello, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a real pleasure being here at the Hocken Library. Thank you for uh, wanting to talk to me, Kay. It's well, lovely. I've been wanting to do this for some time, actually, <laughs> so I'm very grateful. I know you've been extremely busy with your exhibition, which we'll talk about shortly. But well, can we start with just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Oh, um, I'm Amanda Patricia Mills because uh, I'm sure everyone needed to know my middle name. <laughs> um, I have been living, well, I'm, I'm from Dunedin. I was born here. I've been away and come back um, mm. a few times. Um, I am the curator of music and AV at the Hocken and also a liaison librarian. So there's, there's two parts to my job. Um, I also write for New Zealand Musician and for Audio Culture. Um, I've, done a, I've done a lot of music writing, um, both academic and uh, more general, especially around New Zealand music. Um, so that's why people might know my name. I also um, have a show with my friend uh, called Misadventures in Sound on All FM. Fantastic. So 
maybe the one we joke that we have one listener so <laughs> quick plug for that when can people hear that uh, that is on uh, every second Saturday at eight o'clock wonder in the evening yes so we are in the Hocken library currently in the in the beautiful space uh, occupied by your current exhibition kaleidoscope world it's a fabulous exhibition i do encourage people to come and see it it uh, runs until the end of september is that correct september the 24th yeah yep. so it's i urge you to come and see it if you have memories of new zealand music through the years or if you just would just love are a music lover or indeed a lover of fine exhibitions because it certainly is do come along and, and have a look at that and that's obviously put together by yourself and your colleague yes thank you very much um yes Catherine and i uh Catherine melbourne and i put together the exhibition Kaleidoscope World, 40 Years of Flying Nun in Dunedin. I I think you could tell from the title that it was to um, celebrate the 40th anniversary of Flying Nun, Mm. Uh, but it was also a way of celebrating the musicians and centering the exhibition and the music scene in Dunedin. One of the things when we started talking about this exhibition is people would say to us, do you know that there's an exhibition happening in Christchurch? around a similar topic. Yes, yes, but they, the exhibition in Christchurch focused on the artwork of Flying Nun, mm. whereas ours focuses on the Dunedin music scene yes. in particular. So we, we definitely wanted to have a difference mm. with that one. And yeah, so it's it's also for lovers of, of Dunedin, of, you know, people who know Dunedin, people mm. who remember Dunedin from, you know, decades ago. Yeah, and people who remember venues and gig places yeah. and... It's, yeah, just a celebration. Music has a wonderful way of transporting you back to the past, doesn't it? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I'm sure there will be many people who've visited the exhibition who've, who've suddenly remembered things about things they've done and seen. <laughs> I think so. There's been quite a few comments along the lines of, um, oh, I remember that, and yeah. I haven't seen that for years. Oh, I have to go and look up my own material. Exactly. Yeah. So hopefully it's, it's prompting a revival in that sort of music of that era. Yeah. I... I hope so. I mean, the funny thing about this scene, the Dunedin music scene from the 80s, is that, and I mean, everyone was so young, mm. and it was 30, 40 years, between 30 and 40 years ago, a lot of those musicians are still making music now. Yeah. And the, some of the music they're making is just as good, if not better, as mm. what they were making That's right. you know, 35 years ago. They have aged well. <laughs> they have aged very well. Great. Well, it certainly is a wonderful exhibition. And it includes uh, video as well, doesn't it? It does, yes, yes. We have a video reel of live performance from the 80s and early 90s. Superb. So there's six bands. It's about 50 minutes long, so there's about eight or nine minutes of each band, two or three songs. And, yeah, it's a wonderful way to... What we wanted was we wanted people to go into that room and sort of be immersed in what a gig was like, Mm. with the exception of the sticky floors of the pub, (laughs) because we couldn't do that, unfortunately. (laughs) But the walls are painted this really amazing dark green, so Mm. it sort of feels like a really dark pub feel. And yeah, it was really, really great to be able to do that. And everyone has been so supportive of the exhibition and of us using that video. So we were really, really lucky to Mm. be able to to do that. Thanks to the music community and yeah. everyone involved. Wonderful. We couldn't have done it without them. It's great. Great to recollect that, really is. Uh, which I'll do a quick prompt at, prompt for me, actually. If, if anyone does have memories of the music scene, we would love to hear from you at the Dunedin Public Libraries because we uh, are collecting those stories and putting them onto our archive. So hopefully that will run nicely and complementarily, if that's a word, with, with your exhibition. But let's go back to you. How long have you worked at the Hocken Library as the music curator? Uh, ten and a half years. 
gosh, that's, so, that, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. been here a while. And you love it. I do, yes. I'm really yeah. lucky to have this, this position. It's, it's a great position. Yeah. Now, what does it entail? Because you, you mentioned a couple of things in there that I wasn't quite sure what they were. Sure. So what does uh, your well, job do on a daily basis? Oh, uh, it depends on the day. Yeah. <laughs> So my full job title is liaison, uh, Hock and Liaison Librarian and uh, Curator Music AV. Mm. So it's some days it's a 50-50 split, other days it's most certainly not a 50-50 split of what mm. we do. So uh, with the liaison role we take classes and tours, so oh. not only tertiary classes but high school classes as well, mostly year 13. We, we're not really set up for younger classes unfortunately, mm. but yeah, so for NCEA level um, students so teachers get in contact with us um, asking us for sources about New Zealand topics and if they can bring their classes in mm. and we get out some sources for them and have a class mm. because everything's been up in the air with COVID over the last couple of years um, it's been it's you know been a bit up and down but hopefully we're, we're getting back into it now mm. and uh, hopefully we'll be able to take tours as well because that's part of the the education experience and for the general public as well, mm. we do give tours of the um, of the whole Hocken. Fabulous. Uh, for the curator role and my curator role, um, I develop, maintain, manage, care for, look after the music and audiovisual collections mm. here, uh, which is a, a great thing. And mm. yeah, so lucky. <laughs> I, I I do love it. I I really do love it. <laughs> so so what what's in the collection? Well, we've got some amazing things in the collection. There's a nearly 20,000 um, items that can Gosh. be listened to yeah. and this is just New Zealand music mm. maybe with a few interesting outliers because uh, part of our collection development policy a very low low part of our collection development <laughs> policy um, was New Zealand pressings so ah, there's right. yes. a few things which we have as examples of New Zealand pressings which are you know, on 78 or 45 mm. that are not necessarily New Zealand artists but you know that is most certainly not the the major part of the collection. Mm. Uh, the oldest thing that we have in the collection uh, in the recorded music collection dates back to 1905. Wow. Um, so it is a recording of John Prowse from Wellington. He was a, a baritone from Wellington mm. uh, singing the song Maiden of Morven yeah. and as far as we know it is the oldest recording of a New Zealand musician in existence. There the, the could very well be other copies in people's private collections but from what we know about the recording is that he was on tour with Dame Nellie Melba, the Australian soprano, mm. in the early 1900s. They were in London, he had impressed her with his, his uh, musical ability so they were in a recording studio and she gave him some of her, her time to to do some recordings so Amazing. he recorded a few songs. Yeah. Maiden of Morven was one of them. There were there were, I think, only 12 test pressings made Gosh. and six made it back to New Zealand and Australia. Oh, so, so they really are precious. They, it is a really precious yeah. record. Um, yeah. It has been digitised and a couple of years ago for World Audiovisual Heritage Day, I wrote a blog for, on the Hockham blog about John Prowse and put the, the file of Maiden of Morven up there oh. so that it is widely available for so people you can to come listen to it. Yeah, you yeah. can listen to it. Wonderful. We've got a couple of cylinders. Of course, people can't listen to the cylinders mm. because we don't have equipment and that kind of um, format That's is very That's difficult, fragile. isn't it? Technology has moved on. How do you, if you're preserving all this, how do you listen to it? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's people that you can talk to about that, um, mm. sort of external vendors who are, who yeah. are fantastic. Give a plug to Andy Ellis who runs Convert It. Yes. Uh, he does an amazing job um, converting material that we can't do in-house. Mm. 
So yeah, we, we're really grateful to Andy yeah. for that. So, so even if you have it on something really ancient that isn't, we don't have the equipment to listen to, you have a digitised version? Not all. I mean, okay. you know, even external vendors often yeah. don't have, well, they all don't have cylinder plates. No. <laughs> but, you know, we, we do have them with the hope that, you know, we will get it digitised one day oh. and we, it will be available to, yeah. Yeah, for people to hear what, what's on the, yeah. on the item. How wonderful to hear those sounds from decades and decades ago. I know, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. But things like 78 RPM discs, we have uh, ways to digitise those. Mm. It's not a problem yeah. at all. I mean, we can only digitise our own material, unfortunately. We, we don't offer a, a service for the general public, but mm. yeah, we can get our own material sorted. Yeah, fabulous. So, so if people want to listen to things, they can make an appointment and come they, in? They can just come in, they don't even have to make an appointment. Oh. Um, things, I mean, the Hawkins opening hours are slightly reduced at the moment because of COVID, so we're open 10 to 3, Tuesday to Saturday, mm. but any time you can come in um, and listen to material, you do have to sign up as a reader. Mm. So just bring in some photo ID for that and we can yeah. sign you up. We will probably give you some help setting up the turntables if you wanted to come right. in, or any of the equipment if you're not used to listening to it, yeah. especially 78s. And we do ask that with um, records, so 78s, 45s and 33s, that's the size of the, uh, that's the speed of the disc, sorry, small, <laughs> large, medium disc, <laughs> I should say. That, that we, we do ask that people please wear cotton gloves yes. because oils from your fingers get yeah. onto the, the record. and for people's own personal collections, you know, they can handle them mm. however they want, but for a public collection, we just have to take Absolutely. that little bit of extra care. And passing through more than one set of hands, of course, they're yes, prone of course. to damage. Yes, so, yeah. 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 It's a fabulous resource, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. It's a, it's a wonderful resource. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, it's only been collected since 1977. Gosh. Uh, that's when a lot of uh, libraries started collecting popular culture. Yeah. So that's when we started collecting recordings mm. and that I would argue is why we've got such a good collection of, of Dunedin Flying Nun and mm. that Dunedin wider material from the mm. 80s because it was being collected at the time it came out. Yes, so, so you were forward yeah. thinking and, mm. and thought <laughs> we need to get this now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So would you say the collection is quite comprehensive? Yes, but there's always gaps. Of course. Um, yep. I mean, it's not just a recorded music collection as well, there is sheet music too, mm. so we are you know, collecting widely across scores and music mm. sheets. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's about three and a half thousand music sheets there too, Gosh. dating back to 1857. Oh, so how wonderful. It's, yeah. yeah, there's some incredible things mm. in that collection. Yeah, amazing. So you have, you've obviously got a passion for music and particularly New Zealand music. Have you worked with New Zealand collections prior to coming to the Hawken? I have, yes. Yeah, what, what did you do before? Oh, when I was 28, I got my first big job. So my first, uh, 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 I moved to Wellington and was the music librarian at Radio New Zealand for a couple of years. Gosh, how exciting! Uh, yeah. That was that was quite exciting, and yeah, I um, yeah, I think back on those days very very fondly. Mm. That was a just such a great job. Yeah. It really it, it changed my outlook on things. Right. Um, in what way? I suppose because I didn't really know what I wanted to do because I'd worked in libraries and I'd. As a student, I'd sort of worked as a library assistant and mm. then it had sort of morphed into me working with libraries and I came back from my OE um, having worked in customer service and vowing that it wasn't for me. <laughs> Not cold calling people anyway, just just mm. wasn't, wasn't for me. Um, so I came back and worked again in libraries and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with it. Mm. 
I wanted to do something else. I keep telling myself that I wanted to do something else, but no, I, um, yeah, I, I went back to the library and then got this role at Radio New Zealand, and it made me, it opened my eye, or it opened my ears, not my eyes, but my ears to a lot more, uh, because you listen to what you love mm. and you listen to what you know. Yes. But in a place like that and in a job like that, you start hearing and coming across more and more, especially mm. with a huge collection like that, that is, has got material that you just can't find now. Yes. So it was, um, it was amazing. It was an incredible job. And I, I, I left that job to move to Christchurch. And I, I left it thinking, I, I need to work with, with music and sound collections. Yeah. So when I got to Christchurch, I was there with, uh, with my partner and he was doing, doing his thing and I was figuring out what, what, what was I going to do in Christchurch. And then I started working with what was the Sound Archive there, which oh. was affiliated with Radio New Zealand. Yes. So I worked there for a wee while. Is that Natonga? Yeah, oh. uh, well, it's, now it is part of Natonga, so yes. vision. right. Uh, but at the time it was... Um, Natonga Korero, um, so the Radio New Zealand Sound Archives. Yes. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a fantastic place, and again, just opened my eyes to how people do things, and especially the physical digitisation of this material, mm. because I was around people doing this all the time. Yes. And it is something that fascinates me, and something that I really, really love and appreciate. Yeah. And preserving sound and musical and audio heritage. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be really, really, I think we need to be behind it. I think mm. it absolutely needs to be done. It's probably the most fragile record of anything, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. And most of the records of the 20th century, yeah. or not most of but a, a fair amount are audiovisual. Mm. I mean, you know, some of the major speeches of the 20th mm. century are captured on video. That's right. And then put onto audio later. Yes. But this material is a key record of how we've lived since the 1900s. Mm. So, so we really do need to care for it. Yes. And to actually hear the sounds is so mm. valuable, isn't to it? To hear someone's voice. Yes, exactly. And yeah. I know that there's a, a lot of cultural considerations that you need mm-hmm. to take around around that. Yes. And you know, w- when it's handled sensitively, mm. it, yeah, it's a powerful, powerful thing. It very much is. You've got that connection with the past. You, you do. Yeah. You have that connection with, with past, with a family member, with a loved one. Yeah. It, yeah. It's really important thing. Mm. And sound, sound is so important. Mm. So but it also teaches us about the future. It does. Yeah. yeah. So, hang on to it. Digitization. Yes. <laughs> We'll take a short break there. We'll be returning to Amanda Mills very soon. We thought we'd have some music in between. You've, you've got a song for us, haven't you, Joe? Yeah, by um, a band called Luther, Dunedin Band. So um, this is a song, some sun song, that was um, uh, recorded in 
I've only just discovered them, but it feels like they're a modern band. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And actually, I was just um, looking at the you know, the album Sleeve, and they were the resident band at uh, Mojo's Nightclub in George Street. Ah, well, that Dunedin. possibly answers our question from earlier then. Yeah, yeah. so it's 1971. So Mojo's so, yeah. was a, a discotheque. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone remembers Mojo's... Let us know. Yeah, we tell us where it was. We want to know what you danced to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, well, talking of Dunedin music, I think it's time we got back to Amanda Mills, who now reveals some of her favourites. And how did you develop your own tastes in music? How did you come to music? Were you influenced by what your parents listened to? Or were you very much your own person when it comes to music? Um, Obviously, you've got this broad <laughs> knowledge now, having worked in that. Well, my continuing... Uh, what would you... What would you call her? Maybe my North Star of music. Oh, I like that. Um, is Kate Bush. Gosh. Um, right. I grew up in a household with 
uh, family members who had the Kate Bush first kick inside album. Yeah. I was two when that came out. And there's some records that it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, if you don't have that album. I mean, I'm a physical format person. Yes. I mean, I listen to, obviously, stream material all the time. Mm. But for me, physical formats are the, the real way mm. of listening to music. So if, if I don't have a copy of that Kick Inside album, at least near me, I feel like there's something missing. Yeah. Um, so I have loved her forever. And then as a kid, I was... You know, there was the record collection was Kate Bush, disco, not a lot of New Zealand music <laughs> except Jezebel by um, John Stevens. I, I remember <laughs> quite yeah. a lot. There's a few bit of Bee Gees for some reason, but I do love the Bee Gees. Mm. I, I think they're fantastic. Some Bee Gees. <laughs> um, yeah, so I learnt music at school. Um, I played recorder. I learnt to read music there. My music collection. I mean, there wasn't really a music collection, except I do remember getting a getting cassettes for my eleventh birthday. It was Wham and Madonna, so class, I, class. <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic. I really loved it. But yeah, it was my, basically um, ABBA as well. I absolutely, mm. you know, ABBA was in the family record collection. Yeah. So I, I absolutely loved that, and I still do love ABBA. I think they're incredible. Mm. Yeah, but my own, you know, from from that time, my own musical path from age 11 was very much musicals. I loved musicals oh, as a child. Stage musicals. Yeah. Um, I, I listened to my Phantom of the Opera and oh. Cats records so much I still know the words. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you listen to something over and over, that you, you just still know the words. So, yeah, I, with that. And then I really got into Kylie Minogue. It's right. funny because thinking about all of those artists that I loved as a kid, I still... For the majority of them, I still love them now. Mm. Yeah, so I got into that pop music that yeah. was going on, that Stockache and Waterman thing that was really big yeah. in the 80s. And I'm really, uh, I was too young for the Dunedin scene. And, I'm, mm. you know, you kick yourself now when you're thinking, well, I was listening to all of that material, you know, mm. the, the pop in the 80s. Oh, and can I also point out the new romantics? Because um, I grew up in a household Please with... Do. with I've never liked Spandau Ballet for some reason. Here we differ. Here we differ, <laughs> listener. I, I, I don't know why, but, you know, um, Culture Club and Duran Duran and yeah. the Human League. Love the Human League. Yeah. You know, all of that music that I grew up with. But when I was finding mm. my own path, it was all of that pop music and not really, obviously not knowing what was going on here. Mm. I mean, 1987 is a key year in, in popular music. Yes for a number of reasons, not only locally with the second wave of Flying Nun material mm. coming out, but you know, you've got the really big albums, uh, Joshua Tree, you've got Kick, you've got a whole raft of material coming out. Massive year. Massive year. But for me it was 1989 when I was 13 mm. and starting high school and then I discovered the B-52s and Love Shack. Oh, yeah. And Your musical awakening. It, it, it really <laughs> did start. I mean, I was still listening to the stuff that I've been listening to, but I was starting to find little yeah. wee things. Yeah. So that was, I can, I can chart it. It's funny because I can chart it with where I was at high school mm. because uh, at that time, that was the first year. I went to Kevner College. Right. So that was uh, out of the South site, which was, I think, is now... It's that food strip mall with Burger King on the um, Andy Bay Road. Oh, was it there? Yeah, that was there. Oh, gosh. And right. uh, Smith City was there. 
It was, and that was our school gym and auditorium. Wow, I did not know that. That was, yeah, that was 1989, and then oh. uh, so the um, the following year in 1990 moved up to Rattray Street because mm. that's where Kevin yes. College is now. But um, yeah. that's where the senior site was ah. back then. This is, you know, this is going back 32 years. Mm. <laughs> Giving my age away here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and then of course, still listen to all of this stuff. And then at some point, and I can't remember the first time I ever went in there, I discovered Records Records and never ever looked back. And you know, the following couple of years after that, that was when I discovered David Bowie. And you know, the Beatles had suddenly come into my life after just rejecting them, going, oh, they're so old. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember one day, day, um, because my mum had a friend and she was talking on the phone to a friend and her son was really big into the Beatles. And then she, I something I was. We can work it out. Oh yeah. And I just turned it up. It. I suddenly got it. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you I, hear a song and it stops you in your tracks, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 It was. There's been many songs that have done that. Yeah. <laughs> done that in my life. But yeah, for just for that after not liking the Beatles at all, they just. It was just like a lightning moment, yeah. and it set me on my path to really getting into you know classic material mm. um, and from there it was you know my my twin north star David Bowie <laughs> who I just yeah yeah just love him yeah um, and yeah then just it, it just took off yeah took off so there's a lot of international artists there yes when did you start becoming interested in New Zealand music because you have you have got yeah. an extensive collection haven't you? yes yes um, not just I mean personally you've got an extensive collection I, I do I do probably more towards my late teens I mean obviously Crowded House obviously mm. when the cat's away I loved when the cat's away and I'm still a huge Diane Swan fan, so it's you know you know they're, they're still there. Yeah. Again, all of those bands who are filtering through, all of the stuff that I remember, you know, Ardija, all of those '80s bands, mm. yeah, and uh, the Mockers, and I'm not a big Dave Dobbin fan, but you know I do remember, you know, it was everywhere. Mm. Yeah, I used to watch RTR Countdown on a Saturday night at six o'clock in my room. Or no, I d- hold on, I didn't have a TV in my room. That would not have been a, an 80s thing for me. Um, in someone's room, I watched RTR Countdown. And <laughs> we'll it, go it was, into that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, yeah, so it was it was great. And you know, I do remember watching Pseudo Echo, um, Funky oh, Town. Oh yes. Yeah, with the guitar. Yeah. That was an awesome memory. Yeah. Yeah, but um, you know, New Zealand music has always been there, and it has always informed mm. and filtered through. Yeah. And I've always loved it. And it's, yeah, we, you know, I've got to say right now that we punch so much, Mm. so far above our weight. Yes. You know, we have a fantastic music scene and people get hooked on one or two names. Yeah. But across the board, it's just incredible. Mm. And yeah, you know, you think of something like Poye. Yeah. And which, you know, I'm sure is an unofficial national anthem. I think it should be, really. (laughs) They're much better. (laughs) Yes. Probably should Well, yes. Um, (laughs) One could argue. In my personal opinion. (laughs) Yes. I-M-H-O. Sorry, I've lost my track of thought. Yeah. Sorry, Um, I interrupted you. I was going to ask, was there a moment where you thought, actually, New Zealand music is good? You know, you've, you've had this passion for music growing up, but then all of a sudden you've come to New Zealand music and you thought, crikey, I didn't realise it was this good. 
I think because it's weird. I, I can't remember ever thinking that. I, I think I've always known that it was just as good. It didn't mm. matter if it came from here yeah. or anywhere else. Yeah. It, it was good. Yeah. And let's be honest, not all music from any country <laughs> is good. No. <laughs> there is some... There, there are some things which are not good, and you know it's also personal opinion as well. I'm, oh, yeah. <coughs> I'm very, very um, yeah, um, it's all subjective. Yeah, but I know what I like, and I'm <laughs> not afraid to say it. Yeah. Would well, you think maybe Dunedin music is it resonates with us because it has a sense of place, perhaps? I think I think that is a good point to make. I th- yeah. I think it does resonate with a lot of people, and it doesn't necessarily matter if you're listening to the clean or the chills or mm. you're listening to Netherworld dancing toys or if you're listening to Death and the Maiden or 660 or whoever mm. it does pull you back especially if you have a memory of it here mm. it really does yeah. yeah it's an echo of home isn't it, it is it is an echo of home yeah. it's not one of those patriotic no. echoes of home no it's a real thing it is it is it's a you know Nostalgia. I don't even know if it's a nostalgia thing. It is a, a moment which just makes you realise that this is this mm. may be what you associate with home. Yeah, and it's, it's yours. A, yeah, it's yours. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky enough to attend a tour you did recently of the Kaleidoscope World Exhibition, and I heard you mention you've been a passionate record buyer since your teens, and you lived in records, records, as you just said. Can you share some of your recollections of the record shops in Dunedin? Because there were quite a few, weren't there, over the years? There were. It's, uh, it's funny because as soon as you say that, I remember a statistic that someone told me years ago that in the 1950s, Dunedin had about 14 or 15 cinemas. Yes, that's true. I've done, um, a, I've done some research on that. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, record stores, I mean, I have a big memory of the record stores and department stores. So, mm. for example, in the DIC especially, and... And in Arthur Barnett's too, but more in the DIC because where that used to be was where you go into the public art gallery. Yeah, that's uh, right. And yeah, I, I remember buying, I probably bought my musical soundtracks there. Yeah, I, I remember that quite quite vividly. Um, I remember EMI. I remember mm. going into EMI with one of my friends on her birthday and she was looking for a, a Wham album. And... She, she got quite upset when the sales assistant who was helping, you know, shuffled right past the Wham album she was after. So I have, I have that oh, memory. Okay. Um, and then, you know, when EMI became HMV and moved across the road, right, yes. um, that was a, a big store there. Where else? There was also a music hi-fi store on the corner of Hanover Street and George Street. That was a big one. But for me, the big ones were always, um, I mean, a disc den forever. I love walking into disc den because that wall of cassettes, mm. it, it just makes it's me still smile. it's still there. I bought some cassettes <laughs> off that wall a yeah. few months ago. It was great. great. Um, and I knew that they were legitimate 90s cassettes. Yeah. <laughs> Never, ever played. <laughs> um, but it, it was great. Um, I really, really appreciate the fact that they've still got this incredible collection at disc den. Mm. And for a while, pre 2009, 2010, if I was ever in Dunedin, mm. I would go to Disc Den and I'd flick through the New Zealand material mm. and they had a huge collection of Flying Nun CDs yep. and then all of a sudden they didn't because someone had 
you know, someone had clicked onto the fact that <laughs> they had this big collection. So they bought them all. Yeah, <laughs> bought most of them anyway. Um, but for me, it was always Records Records and Echo Records especially mm. um, as one of the, I mean, obviously Sounds and, oh, gosh, some of the others, you know, there's H&B Sounds. Um, yeah, mm. I've forgotten the other names. But um, yeah, locally, those, yeah. yeah, Echo Records was a huge thing. So that was your sort of Saturday afternoon, you just toured the record shops, did you? Oh, yeah. I, I would love to have that opportunity to, yeah. to go back because, yeah. yeah, things that I didn't buy. I, I have a copy now, but I remember, and actually I should backtrack a bit because uh, Terry's Beggs used to be a toy store, a bookstore, and a music store, and then oh. it became a music store yeah. and a bookstore, and then it was you know, a music store with instruments. Mm-hmm. I, bought, I got my first recorder from there for school. Yeah, so there was a whole lot of material there, but when that became Echo Records, you could go upstairs to the mezzanine mm. because the New Zealand music was on the mezzanine floor. Ah. And so there were the records and the cassettes, and then there was a sale part as well. Mm. And the Flying Nun album, Absolutely, which is a wonderful record. The artwork and the music is incredible. That's in your exhibition. It yeah. is, it yeah. is. Uh, I always love that record cover, and yeah. I regretted not buying it because I saw it there for ages and I always thought oh I'd love that but I didn't I never bought it and and I do have a copy now regrets I have a few (laughs) just a few dozen (laughs) of records I didn't buy um, yes so records records especially I remember Roy being incredibly just you know he was there he was very patient Mm. and he was helpful and he wouldn't judge and you bought up that's quite important yeah, isn't it stuff from the 50 cent bin which you're going yeah you know should I you know is this embarrassing I don't know I don't care <laughs> but just some thinking back to the 50 cent bin there I got my first copy of Abbey Road from that yeah. and um, I've still got some of my records that I bought from Records yeah. Records so and probably what was in the 50 cent bin is now probably about 80 bucks <laughs> pretty much yeah. <laughs> yeah there was a lot of New Zealand material old New yeah. Zealand material there that mm. no one was buying yeah. and now it's worth a lot of money yeah if you are going to buy it that's probably right. not as much if you're going to sell it but yeah if you want to buy it it, it does cost yeah. a lot that's right you know early pressings and material that has never been reissued yeah just didn't know the value of it at the time no no, no not at all no. so did they all have a sort of different flavor were they all did, did they all have their specialities or were they quite broad i think echo was very broad i i remember going to echo records at the time when mini discs the first time mini discs came in mm. That they yeah, didn't last very long. They didn't they? last. They lasted even less time the first time round, ah. and then the second time round they lasted a little longer. Yeah, and then yeah, but again a format that she can't yeah. do much with. No, but you know, having said that, I do have many disc player at home. So ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's my um, it was my um, my partner's, you know, sort of Walkman. Yeah, on mini disc. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting. Thing, but why they never took off because they weren't weren't going to jump around like a CD, and they weren't yeah. you know you know even they made tapes look bulky as well. Yeah, yeah. So you'd yeah. think they would work. But you'd think they were they would, but then yeah. I think the iPod yeah. appeared. They and just were the Betamax of their time. They, they were really? the Betamax of their time. Yeah, <laughs> sadly. Yeah. Um, sorry, back to what you were saying. I think they all did have a different flavour. I mean, things like sounds and HMV were definitely more you know chart commercial mainstream yeah, yeah. whereas H, um, sorry echo records had a lot of secondhand material mm. as did obviously records records was secondhand material yeah. but they were 
for a while one of the few distributors, the only distributor of flying nun yeah. material as far as I know, and in Dunedin. Um, so were they the cool shop to go to? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I never felt as cool as when I went into records. records. <laughs> so they never felt as definitely help your street cred by get, spending time in there. Yeah, I think it would have been. I would have felt a lot cooler if I wasn't in my in my school uniform. Um, but yeah, it was. Yeah, it was such an important place, and yeah. I felt so privileged to be able to get to know Roy. You know, a few years ago with yeah. this job, and yeah. that I yeah, mm-hmm. just so lucky. Oh, it's great chatting to Amanda there, and we'll have more of that interview next week when she talks more about the exhibition. But I saw you nodding along quite a bit there. I know I was. It was very nostalgic <laughs> for you. I was thinking of records, 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 because there, there was a mental a fireplace in there, and then on the mantelpiece was all of the um, cassettes. And ah. so I still have cassettes, yeah, those yeah. sort of handwritten prices on the cover, because I never, t- I never take prices off CDs or albums, because I like to know how much I paid for them. That's a good idea, actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I must remember that's the first thing I do is peel the thing oh. off, but actually you're right, yeah. yeah. It's part of its history, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. it was great. It's quite yeah. nice to know that I'm not the only Kylie Minogue fan. <laughs> I'm sure you're not. My se- sometimes I feel ashamed, but no, I'm, I'm, no. I will never call anything a guilty pleasure. <laughs> no, my husband's a fan too, so you're, you're not alone. <laughs> and um, speaking of uh, performances in Dunedin, yeah. so yesterday it was the 58th anniversary of the Beatles playing at the Dunedin Town oh, Hall. Oh, so cool. Yeah. So they had, um, so they arrived in Dunedin. There was a crowd of about four hundred people at the um, at the airport, but they were very silent. And then, and oh. then they, and then all it went, you know, a bit crazy when they got back into town. So yeah. um, any doubt that Dunedin teenagers would flock to welcome the Beatles was answered yesterday when two thousand screaming youngsters broke police cordons and barricades <laughs> outside the city hotel in efforts to reach their idols. Later at their second show, the idols were saved from inundation by 30 policemen. So that was from the ADT. And then it wow. said, um, the Evening Star said, Bedlam broke loose in the town hall last night. The four Liverpool lads did the impossible, turned staged Neden upside down. Get on them. <laughs> and it's interesting because um, it was uh, Paul McCartney's 80th birthday oh, on yes. the 16th of June. And he played at Glastonbury yeah. yesterday or whenever it was, a the few oldest. days ago. The oldest headliner in the 52-year history of Glastonbury, and yeah. so he had, um, you know, he did a, a performance with John Lennon yeah. as well, and yeah. um, Bruce Springsteen and lovely Dave Grohl. Yes. So it'll be his first uh, first yeah. performance since um, Taylor Hawkins, the Foo Fighters drummer, member. died. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that also, would have been quite poignant. <laughs> yeah, but also um, it was the Rolling Stones played. Yep, on set day as on well. the same stage. <laughs> oh no, it was. Um, they were. Uh, oh no, oh, it was part of the Glastonbury. Br- that's no, right. Yeah, yeah. They were, it was part of the British Summertime Festival in London. So uh, it was the 60th anniversary of their first UK shows. Yeah. So you choose. <laughs> which is more cool, Glastonbury or the British Summertime? Oh, well, <laughs> I've got to say, if you're headlining Glastonbury at 80, I'd say that's probably the coolest. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Yep. But it was interesting to think. You know, um, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are both 78. Mm. Paul McCartney's 80, and. Yeah. 
and Ronnie Wood is the youngest at 75. Oh, so it's him. probably, you know, what, 80 is the new 60 or I 50. I think it has to be, yeah. <laughs> well, that's something for me to look forward to. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So if anyone's out there is 80, you're now 60. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and if you're not running around on stage at Glastonbury, yeah. well... Singing your heart out. Try harder, please. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, we're running out of time, so I better just do a quick reminder that you can hear us again next Monday on 105.4 FM, 1575 AM. You can tune in on Tuesday evenings from 10 o'clock to hear us, uh, which is a repeat broadcast, or you can download the podcast if you're computer savvy at oar.org.nz. I think they've probably just about got time for one more song. Yeah. Yeah. Talking of the Beatles, this one is... I want to hold your hand. Now, this one is the only one of two tunes that the Beatles recorded in German. That's thanks to ah. Jeff in the studio out there. He gave us that information. Big yeah. thumbs up to Jeff there. <laughs> so thanks for that. And the other one was She Loves You. So, But this one is I Want to Hold Your Hand, and I do. There ah, you go. Beautiful. This is from the 1964 World Tour set list, so they possibly would have actually heard this at yeah. the town hall. <laughs>
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.